Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Uh, joining us today is uh, Scott Aubrey, who is an assistant professor at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Very nice to speak to you today, Scott. Uh, very nice to uh, see you or virtually meet you again, Chris. We worked together at Ritzmakan APU. How how long ago was that? We, we must be gone about 15 years now. Uh, yeah, so I think I'm going to guess about 2010, 2011, so about mm. 12, 13 years. What drew you to Hong Kong? Uh, okay, yeah, good question. Um, I After I graduated, after I got my PhD, uh, I started working at Kansai University. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think I I just wanted a change. I think I was at the 10-year mark in Japan. And mm. I, I felt like at that point, you know, you either, um, you know, completely adapt or, yeah, completely kind of go native or uh, you kind of uh, seek uh, something different. And I just thought I'm, now, I'm, sens I'm sensing judgment from you at this point, because uh, when I've been no, 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 no. Uh, I, I, re I recently yeah. passed uh, my 22 year anniversary in Japan and 10 uh, after 10 years, I was moving from uh, APU to to Fukuoka. So. Right. Yeah. And I think like I, I thought to myself, well, I've recently graduated from from a, a PhD program. So if I'm going to make a major change to a new university, to a new uh, a new country it, now is the time right yes and, yes and hong kong i knew people in hong kong uh so that kind of helped with my decision and i yeah i did some research and um the educate the universities here are really really good uh i have personal connections here so i had friends mm -hmm. here uh but not professional connections um i think i had met uh, a few people working at universities through conferences, but I didn't really know anybody very well. Uh, I definitely didn't know anybody in the faculty that I joined here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was kind of a um, a leap of faith in a way. Well, uh, that's great. And um, I mean, obviously, with uh, um, maybe some people, I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but um my brother-in-law is uh, is from Hong Kong. Well, his his family. He's he's half from Hong Kong, so okay. I do have a good um, uh, a good connection there. I do hope that no one has maybe this is a little bit of an inside joke, but no one has attempted to swindle you in a late night uh, basketball game. No, no. Is is that just the Vietnamese people? <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I, yeah, I I don't really. Yeah, I don't really know anybody who plays basketball, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So to get back on track, um, the paper we're going to be speaking about is second language task engagement in face-to-face -face and synchronous video-based computer-mediated communication modes, performances, and perceptions. And once again, I need to congratulate you on having an unbelievably long title. Oh yeah. Sorry, um, but it's it's only a, it's only a difficulty when you have to read it out. Uh, to be recorded because otherwise when you're just reading it it seems perfectly fine but um, um well, well so I, can i uh, comment so, on the title hmm. a little bit please feel right, free. right i i actually i i was conscious of how long that title was 
Um, and it's impressive. <laughs> and the reason why I kind of I didn't <laughs> edit it into something a little bit simple is because I I've been I've been criticized in the past for not uh, making my titles um, kind of reflect in detail the content of the paper. Uh, so right. as, I, as I was writing that title, I, I kept on kind of hearing opinions that I've received that oh, include lots more detail in the title so people know exactly what the paper is about. So, well, that well, that, was, that, that, that's that that, well, okay. Well, that, all right. Well, sub sub question. And the people who are listening, I don't think we're going to get to uh, a conclusion on this. But do, do you think that titles should um you know tip the hat to exactly what you're doing in it um should it give a lot away because that title I, don't, I mean this is this is not a um a criticism i mean it's a very it's a very informative title but that title is uh getting into the area of sciences so if you look at like biology chemistry physics mathematics like they try and put as much information in the title as possible. And essentially the abstract of the paper is not necessary. Mm. I never thought that was the case in linguistics because people in humanities kind of like, um, I don't know, we, 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 we've read too much C.S. Lewis or something like that, but we like to be teased. Um, I don't I, know. Do, do, you think, do you think the titles are getting too long? Um, I guess like, I mean, one benefit to having a longer title or a title that includes kind of more detail is that, you know, if someone is searching for something specific, right, and they mm, enter mm, into Google mm. Scholar, then, um, you know, you're more likely, your your paper is more likely to come up, right? And they're more likely to yeah, kind of yeah. identify something that might be relevant to them if they, if your title comes up and it and includes at least part of it includes something that is interesting yeah i mean they they they, they, they scrape the title they scrape the abstract and then uh, because most of the papers are usually behind paywall they have nothing to go on so no i agree with you there that's a good but to, to be honest i usually don't think about the title that that much okay all right well okay well let's well let's get into it because this um uh, this paper is about the difference between face-to-face -face and synchronous video-based computer-mediated uh, communication modes. But the first question I wanted to ask you, um, for people who are not, uh, you know, very up on things like task-based learning, most people are because it's something that's been around for a while. And it's something that I have known that you were uh, interested in at that time. Um in the last decade, if you were wanting to get people up to speed on task-based learning theory, task-based learning activities, mm. um, uh, what what would you what would you say has changed in the last ten years? Um, okay, uh, a few things. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think the TBLT approach has become a little bit more flexible. Uh, mm. So. For example, like in the past, like 10 or 20 years ago, I think people associated TBLT with kind of the more pure form of the TBLT approach, which is that you need to design a whole course where um, everything is just tasks. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, I think teachers, you know, a lot of teachers find that completely impractical, right? Often they're given a, mm -hmm. 
a textbook or a, a grammar syllabus mm. and it's you know it's hard to you know it, it it's a it's impossible to uh to uh implement a pure tblt approach if you have those constraints on you uh so now i think what's become more popular is like task supported language teaching uh, which is basically using tasks to practice pre-taught language uh, or, mm. or things like um, like uh, Rod Ellis is now, he's kind of advocating for what he calls a modular TBLT approach, which is... Is he, is he, is he advocating it or is it his graduate yeah. students that are doing this? No, no, he's advocating it. He, he wrote <laughs> a, a few papers recently uh, where it's kind of this middle ground where, you know, you have students perform a series of tasks to uh, promote fluency and then that's followed by kind of a, a more structural syllabus where you explicitly teach language items to promote accuracy so i think people are seeing tblt and tasks as um as kind of useful in different learning contexts but is there anything about uh tblt that leans one way or the other well yeah well I mean, the difference between like fluency accuracy right. um lexi lexical yeah mm -hmm. uh well i i think it, like a yep. common criticism <laughs> of tblt is that it promotes fluency over accuracy right which is mm -hmm. which is not mm -hmm. really true it depends how you implement it right it depends if you do mm. kind of post-task activities where you kind of do for focus on form uh um uh activities with students i and it the usefulness of tblt i think depends on uh the purpose that learners have for learning right. english or whatever uh the their second or foreign languages um i i think obvious i think an obvious uh point is that you know tblt teaches um students learn how to perform communicative functions right they learn how to uh, run, you know run. invite people refuse disagree agree right and the, mm -hmm. this is helpful mm -hmm. in you know real communication so but it, if if the purpose of a course is you know to have students perform well on on, on an exam uh, and the exam is testing you know grammatical items then obviously you know you may want to go with something different so um even in my own um home uh yeah. the difference between the process oriented or the pro uh, the product oriented uh way of thinking about teaching has come up so if there's an exam that's coming up then obviously that's the product but if there is a longer term goal mm -hmm. um then process is is better would you say that tbl is more process oriented to give people confidence for their fluency in the moment and then to recreate that at a time of their convenience in the future uh, or do you think that it actually helps them in uh, you know high stakes testing and uh, you know you know if they're going to go for an IELTS or a uh, TOEFL IBT that they are required to produce certain you know language functions I mean how do you see that uh, task-based learning connects with the wider 
language function both in you know universities and in you know language testing and things like that right um i mean honestly this is something i i don't i don't really think about too much um but i would say it is a process oriented approach and you can mm, learn mm, mm. you can learn um vocabulary you can learn specific grammatical items through certain tasks like for example there's um i mean there's something called uh focus tasks which are designed to elicit students production of certain grammatical points right and then there's you know like students there are learning opportunities that arise during task performances where you know students give feedback and they uh you know they learn from each other so but yeah it's a process oriented approach but uh if oh. you're hmm. if you if if your goal is just to perform well on a grammar test then there are probably right. more efficient ways of uh of learning the reason I bring it up is um, that the people who listen to this podcast, that they're, they're not, you know, they have different um, educational backgrounds and things like that. Um, so just to try and orient people towards what task-based learning is right. and how it works and uh, the things that it's good for and some of the things that it might be not quite work uh, right. best for. I mean, personally, I, I don't really advocate for uh, a, a particular approach. But I think most teachers would agree that providing students at sometimes in their in their in their classes during a lesson or, you know, perhaps every other lesson, some opportunity for students to actually use the language in a meaningful way like that is something that most teachers want to do, whether it's a discussion or whether it's a presentation. And most task-based language teaching research is simply providing advice for mm. teachers who want to carefully design and carefully implement tasks to, mm. to optimize uh, learners' performance. Well, then let's talk about the task. I mean, can you give us some background on the task selection for this paper uh, okay. in and of itself? I mean, uh, just to... Uh, uh, repeat the 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 title of the paper is second language task engagement in face-to-face -face and synchronous video-based computer-mediated communication modes performances and perceptions so obviously this is you're trying to create a system where you can um or a research modality where mm. you can uh compare mm. two different uh ways of uh presenting the task operating the task and and uh evaluating the task so um how did you um how did you choose the tasks like um what what, what were the things that um what were the tasks and, and how did you um decide that these were ones that would be good in this study right okay so um it's i i should probably make clear that this is a classroom-based study so um i actually didn't want to impose too much on the instruction Mm -hmm. um, right. So actually, the, the co-author of this paper is the teacher of the class. Um, basically, what I wanted to do was kind of capture learners' performances in a task type that they were familiar with and that they had kind of um, they were used to doing during mm -hmm. the course. 
so it was really the task type really um it, it well for it, it's a collaborative decision making task that that is the task that uh, i used in the study so uh, this required learners to work in pairs and express their opinions on a topic and then come to uh, a consensus or, or a collaborative decision. Um, and this type of task, uh, the teacher had been doing with uh, these students uh, at the end of every unit. Uh, mm. So uh, the, the teacher of this course, I would say, adopted something close to a uh, task supported language teaching approach so he would teach kind of language items in a court uh, in the course book unit and then he would end the unit with uh, kind of a kind of a discussion or a decision making task where students right. had to uh, kind of productively and use the language in some kind of meaningful way so um, I guess my decisions when I kind of uh, planned for this study was, okay, the teacher is doing discussions based on uh, the topic of the te textbook. So I wanted to align the topic of the tasks mm. with the topics of the textbook. Uh, so in this case, uh, I think task one was uh, on the topic of business, and this was the title of the unit. And then the next task, which was the next title of the unit was, uh, I think, mental health. Um, and I, I, I changed a little bit about what the teacher was doing in his discussion tasks. Mm -hmm. And I kind of made it a little bit more task-like. Mm -hmm. uh, what the teacher was doing before was basically just discussions. Like, here's a topic, express your opinion. And, you mean you mean like um like pair to pair or group? Yeah, or, pair to yeah. pair, right? right? And what I wanted to do is kind of um, change that a little bit and add kind of a meaningful outcome, yeah, right? Which was a decision. Um, I also uh, designed a worksheet, so I gave students a little uh, very clear instructions on what they were uh, to discuss. Um, and then I gave students a little bit of input. So, uh, so for example, uh, task one was on the topic of business um, and students had to read options for their university to raise money for a business venture, mm, mm. right? Uh, and I gave them options for certain businesses that could generate income for the university. And then I, on the worksheet, they had to kind of fill in um, their own options. So they had to kind of come up with their own options. And then they were uh, instructed to uh, choose the best option and discuss the advantages and disadvantages. How receptive were the students to something that it, it's, it's not, you know, process-oriented, task-based learning. I mean, I know this from experimentation that we did back when we used to work together, that it's kind of difficult to get the the students on board. Like, teachers usually are just like, well, this, this looks good. Like, this is engaging them. This is fluency-based. This is uh, right. process-oriented. Um, how easy was it for you to incorporate this into your classes? Um, and if people were interested in doing this in their own classes, 
do you have any um advice for how it, they could do it okay sure well I mean first like I, as I said these students were used to performing this mm. like a, a task type that, that was very similar to uh the task type described in the paper right so I think like getting students familiar with one particular task type is really important yeah. um, sometimes i talk to the students that i teach who are uh, pre-service teachers and they have uh kind of this fear that you know um having students perform <laughs> class is you know it's not going to go well it's a thing of giving up some of the uh the agency of the classroom well, I think that, that yeah, you, you get you get used to like okay you're the teacher you're the person who's setting the task you're the person who's doing the thing and then and now give up the power and then people if if they're for you know early on in their career they're yeah. just not willing to do that right well I what I say to them is yeah it might not go well but the second time it's going to go better and the yeah, third exactly, time yeah, it's yeah. going to go better especially if you get student especially if you're not you know, throwing different kinds of tasks at students every lesson, right? If you keep familiarity, yeah, yeah, then you know, the third time, the fourth time, uh, they're going to know what to do. They're going to develop. The, hopefully, the teacher is going to kind of explain the benefits of um, of uh, doing this type of task, mm. uh, whatever task that they're doing. That's the way. That's the way I think teachers should kind of get into. Um, uh, you know, designing and trying to implement tasks in the classroom is pick one task type that you think is appropriate mm. um, for a certain lesson and then repeat that task type, maybe with mm. different, maybe different content, but the same task type, the same procedures, students get used to the procedures. So what were the, what were the outcomes of it? Like, what would you say the difference between face-to-face -face or online um, and, you know, given that this is a, a podcast, it's, it's a non-face-to-face -face communication, uh, we, but we do recognize uh, developing formats and media uh, in education and communication. Are there any tasks for which FTF is better, much better, or uh, computer-mediated CMC is better or much better, like based on your experience and this study? Is right. there anything that we you know, that we should take away and, and think about how we should um, construct our courses in the future? I I think like any any kind of interactive activity, uh, any kind of task where you know it involves like uh, students in pairs or, or students in groups, and they're trying to transmit information uh, between each other. I think face to face is mm -hmm. going to almost always be better because uh first of all we're going to pick up kind of nonverbal cues um because you know you're in the physical presence of someone um and then also i think being in the physical presence of another person you're a little bit more emotionally invested in the activity right um but i i do think there are some types of tasks where you don't need to be emotionally invested and you don't really need to look at that <laughs> person, right like if it's 
if it's something like a like a purely like transactional task where you're just giving and receiving factual information like for example um maybe giving directions mm. right asking for and giving directions you're not i don't think you're emotionally anyone's really emotionally invested in that that's a really that's a really important point because um oftentimes we don't realize how many interactions that we have in our life have no emotional content right in them and, and it, it's purely transactional as you say yeah and i think like i think for those types of tasks like yeah you can do it over the over the telephone or audio right, you know, right. Only, um computer mediated communication mm -hmm. um but I think whenever there's, whenever it's a requirement where students have to um, generate their own content, mm. right, and their own opinions on something, then kind of emotions are at stake. And if you start agreeing and disagreeing with each other, then, you know, there's this requirement to kind of show empathy. Um, and it's it's really important to have like visual cues having a person in front of mm, you physically mm. i think you're just more likely to respond in more appropriate ways in japan there are many different offers that you get uh for i mean I, 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 okay i'll put it in context um because the algorithm of google knows exactly who i am that they know that i have to um young male children um i get push notifications whenever i go onto youtube and so i get language school notifications and and things like that and uh, i would like your feedback as someone who because i'm i'm not anyone who is i know task based learning but i have not investigated it in any way shape or form so do you think that face-to-face -face learning versus computer-mediated interaction uh is there any difference in the quality of outcome you mean should i be putting my kids into schools that push face-to-face -face interaction and to to improve their language skills or is it possible to do it online which the google algorithm tends to tell me is uh something that I can do that's basically the same. I think I think for I'm not sure what your opinion. I'm I'm sure you you taught online. Um, oh, I, I I did both. I mean, I mean I mean we both we both we both spent years years online, and I and I upped my online game. Okay, but I'm I'm certainly not an expert in the field. Right, right, but I yeah I I before I even did any research into uh, kind of online um online communication in the classroom um I, my my just from my experience during covid where i had to teach using zoom um mm. the quality of my teaching and students learning was definitely not as good like first of all i i think students like even after having lots of experience the past couple of years i think students just don't value online learning as much as in-class learning face-to-face -face learning I think there's something about being in a classroom uh 
where students think, you know, uh, okay, this is for serious learning in the classroom. Uh, students are students tend to like switch off and uh, multitask and do other things if they're forced uh, to, you know, listen to their teacher in the classroom. The the teacher can't monitor the student. Like there there's so many factors that make. Well then, well then, well then, let, let, let's talk about that because yeah. uh, your entire study is based on the comparison of face-to-face -face versus um, computer-mediated yeah. interaction, and we've both had the same experience. Of we feel, we feel, as people who grew up in an era of you're in the classroom, you're focused. There's a teacher-fronted thing going on. You know, is is there value, long term value, in uh, moving to an online space, and and how can we motivate students to actually take it seriously? Just my my personal opinion. I think technology is valuable, and integrating, you know, uh, computer mediated communication into an actual classroom and using technology is very valuable. Uh, but um, right, so for example, there's you know collaborative writing tasks, like right. yes, yeah. like there's there's you know using Google Docs, the chat function, uh, students are able to kind of um, you know exchange opinions and refer to those opinions that are exchanged in the chat box, right? And that the permanent mm -hmm. feature mm -hmm. of having a chat box is useful when they're attempting to to compose their essay. Um, so there are features of technology that are really useful that you can uh, use in your teaching, uh, but teaching exclusively online, it's, I mean, I, I, I get it, again, it depends on the purpose of the course and what they're right, learning right. and how long they're in the classroom for. Okay. How much would you say of your, the courses that you're teaching now are, um, are, taught online and how much like the percentage of how important the content is or how much you feel contact with the students is in terms of face-to-face -face or in you know the the computer mediated space this is a big question if i'm just transmitting information so if i'm just lecturing to students and they're just listening to me and taking notes, uh, then I think what I would do online approximates what I would do face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. But everything else, in my opinion, face-to-face -face has, well, not everything else, but face-to-face -face has a lot more value, right? Mm. Um, you can monitor students, you can organize students, they're, they're looking at you, there's there's this kind of, um, you know, you can intimidate them, <laughs> which. <laughs> well, you you can. I I can't. I, I you. If you've never right, met you, Scott, you he's can, a he's a uh, he has shoulders for he has shoulders for days. Right. You can. <laughs> right. You you can you can show your emotion and you can show. Uh, well, well, show okay, well let, let, let's break let's break that down then. Like, how important is it? Um, we're not talking about physicality in the classroom, but actual physical space in the classroom. Um, and 
you know, you can do more with an eye contact than you can with uh, a comment on their on their Google Doc or something like that. I, I have never investigated this space. I've never investigated, um, communicated, mediated interaction. Would you say that it is better to have students in the classroom, or do you think that you could recreate it online? What would be your what would be your take on that? I think there's I think like online um, communication, online teaching, the online space. There's a lot more opportunities for different types of interaction. So it's a matter of like the face to face instruct. If you're trying to replicate face to face instruction online, mm -hmm. then I think you're going to fail. Right. Nice. Or, or at the best, at best, you're going to maybe approximate the right. If you have cooperative students, if you, you know, are, are, are very, very organized and it, you know, depends what you do in the, in the classroom as well, in the face-to-face -face classroom. But I think like there are other opportunities, like if you want to engage students in like different ways of communicating, right. If you want to get them to, I don't know, search online mm -hmm. and, you know, multitask. There's, you know, different ways that students can communicate with each other. There's different ways that you can communicate with the student using online platforms, right? Mm, mm. right? So it's, I, I don't think that online teach, I don't think the goal of online teaching should be to approximate face-to-face -face teaching. That's a very um, good point. Uh, and and also- what what then okay if i can use this as a final question um then where is the balance between face to face and computer mediated interaction should you be requiring students uh, like um something that we've spoken about before on the podcast like the, the flipped classroom where you get them to do the the watching and the reading before they get to the classroom and then do the discussion and the group work and things based on mutually understood materials. Um, like I would really like to know because I think that this, I well, I, I hope that this uh, is something that we get at the end of the COVID era where we realize how to use the various resources that we obviously have to improve the uh, the learning experience of our students so do you have any um thoughts based on the study that you did um uh you know what should be done outside the classroom what could be done inside the classroom how technology could be used to mediate the two right so i think teachers should use technology to enhance like existing activities that they're doing in the classroom mm -hmm. Right. They should think about it that way. Um, so, for example, like my example of collaborative writing. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, do that mm -hmm. face to face. But, you know, if you get them to do that using some kind of simultaneous writing program. Right. This can maybe make the activity more efficient. They can, you know, there's there's other learning opportunities uh, if you use technology in the right way in that type of activity. Right. I mean, right. like similarly. Yeah. Like um, 
in a flip classroom. I mean, I don't, I don't know much about flip classrooms. Uh, so I can't be honest, really... neither do I, but I, I, I uh, work with yeah. someone who's a, who's a, who's a very big advocate of flipped classrooming. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Well, the idea being, I mean, it, 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 as best I understand it, um, yeah. things that take the most amount of time, uh, reading and listening, you do outside the classroom. And then the things that the teacher fronted activity can do like uh, discussion groups and collaborative writing, you would do in the classroom. So that that to me is the understanding of a flipped classroom. If I'm wrong, um, Professor Joe Vita, I'm very sorry. Well, thank you very much for coming today. And I, just to finish today, I would just like to ask, what did you do after this research project? And are there any recommendations that you have for perhaps uh, teachers who haven't tried anything like this that they might do as a kind of action research to improve their you know classroom performance right okay yeah so i i imagine teachers um have have some kind of trepidation in kind of um designing and getting students to you know cooperate and perform in tasks um my yeah my suggestion would be to um yeah try it out if you think there's a problem right try and modify the task um maybe collect some data to see if the task works if it doesn't make more modifications and collect some data right and i mean that's how action research works um and um, I think, yeah, I think with uh, trying to use tasks in the classroom, it's, it's just a matter of kind of choosing the right ones, adapting it to fit the material, and uh, having learners kind of get used to uh, this new approach. Absolutely fantastic. And, and, and thank you. Because uh, I always hope that uh, our interviews actually bring forward something that i i've always spoken about was like monday morning activities which is you listen to something you go to a presentation you get some information you get some uh research data and you think i'm gonna try this on monday morning and mm -hmm. that's kind of what i i hope sometimes because some some of the uh interviews that we have are a little bit more ephemeral than that but i think that this is something that should connect with uh, people and uh, the way that they use their um, available resources. And I hope that it's inspired people to, you know, try something a little bit different mm. and connect with people. So we've been speaking with uh, Scott Aubrey about the paper Second Language Task Engagement in Face-to-Face -face and Synchronous Video-Based Computer-Mediated Communication Modes, Performances and Perceptions. Thank you very much for your time today, Scott. And I hope that we have the chance to speak and also meet in the future. Thank you very much, Chris.